that can be a pretty intimidating, um, even a daunting type um, reality to try to think about. Uh, it's uh, something that the Scripture does lay out, but it's also one of those things that if we, if we really if we think it through for what it is, uh, I mean, if the reality is that, that God is using me for you and you for me to help us become, both become more and more like Jesus, then it, it is one of those, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief kind of thing. Um, it's really hard to believe that in a, in a um, taking it for what it is. And so I think Paul probably knows that. And so the chapter um, of Titus 2 takes another turn. It takes a, it's, it's in the same vein, but Paul lets us know that while God is, while Christ is using His church to build and bring His church to maturity, that really the power in all of that is grace. So let's read Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. Um, and just so, uh, I guess just to add this, after he gets finished with the older men, older women, younger women, younger men, he tells Titus in verse 7, in all things show yourself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptibleness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, and he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So he says, Titus, these people ought to be doing these things, and as far as you're concerned, you need to show yourself a pattern, an example of um, good works, doctrine, these things that the the people are supposed to be helping each other grow into. Then there's an exhortation to servants. And then he says in verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that, we, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So, it's the transforming power of grace that makes all of this um, work the way that it's supposed to work. Uh, you'll notice in verse 11, it starts out with the word for. For the grace of God has appeared to all men or all kinds of men, Jew, Gentile. But it's for, because. This is why. This is why older men instructing the younger men. This is why older women instructing the younger women. This is why Titus show yourself to be a pattern. This is why servants be obedient to your masters. Why? Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, or again, all kinds of men. 
teaching us that denying ungodliness and so forth and so on. Four things in this section that I want to highlight this afternoon. Number one, out of verse 11, when we think about the transforming power of grace, uh, it's grace and grace alone that saves or brings salvation. And we know this to be true. We talk about this. We pray about this. Um, we, uh, we acknowledge this. But this really is. This is how um, two different people can sit on the same pew, hearing the same messages, singing the same hymns, week after week, month after month, year after year. And for one, it's effective. It, it, it produces growth godliness, repentance, anticipation for the coming of Jesus Christ, and for the other, nothing. Why? Well, because the power of transformation, it's not, it's not in me. What I mean by that is, it's not, I mean, I've got a responsibility to to hold forth the Word. It's my responsibility to be faithful and to try to rightly divide. And so some people have misunderstood this idea as if since grace does it, we shouldn't be doing anything. Well, no, grace uses God's provisions and God's gifts to actually bring about a change. But, but don't be mistaken, it's grace See, I'm replaceable and so are you. And one of these days we will all be replaced. But you know what you're going to be replaced with? Another saint who's been gifted by God to take up the baton for a short amount of time and be used in the life of the church as an instrument of grace. Okay? That is... I will minister to you, and by God's grace, it will edify you or build you up. So, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, this tells us a couple of things. Uh, we've already said, number one, it's by grace that anybody's transformed. So, if that's the case, then the second thing is that if God is not, He hasn't put all His eggs in your basket. Now that does that's not supposed to make you lazy. That's supposed to make you less self-conscious, if that makes sense. Sometimes the reason that we don't minister the way that we're supposed to minister, that we don't seek to edify in the sense that we are called to edify in Scripture, is because we're afraid we're just ill-equipped. We don't know how to do it. We'll be clumsy. We'll mess it up. I'm not good at that. Well, God didn't call you because He thought you were good at something. Okay? God called you and equipped you because you weren't good at something. And then He's told you what to do because you were too foolish to figure it out. And then He's told you, even though after grace has come into your heart and began to work in your life, and you begin to have appetites and you begin to seek to push into, press into the kingdom along with your brothers and sisters, He lets you know that grace is not going to allow you to mess that up. Now by that, I don't mean you can't make a fool out of yourself by trying to 
by rebelling or by hardening your heart. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I do mean is you can mess up. You can be clumsy. And by God's grace, he can still use that to help, to edify, to build up, to grow. You know, there are times where we just don't have words to say. We just do the best that we can. And um, the impact that's left behind to whoever it was we were trying to encourage is not necessarily the words that came out of our mouth, but the fact that this person loved me enough to come try to help me, to come try to minister to me, to come try to encourage me, comfort me, um, even instruct me in some kind of a way. So it's grace. It's God's grace that takes every feeble effort and turns it into something that is transformative in the life of the believer. Now here's the other thing. While transformation is something that we ought to intentionally pursue, transformation is not something that we can always see in the moment. There's a lot more transformation going on in me and you than we can recognize. How do we know that? Because God's going to complete the work that He began in each and every one of His people. And He's going to do that through the church. Okay? So that work is going on. It's happening. You're being transformed right now. And so sometimes we, we, uh, we can be kind of hesitant because maybe we don't recognize big splashes that the Lord has used us to bring about. Maybe we don't recognize um, how it is that the Lord might be, uh, be using us. A lot of the times the most transformative things can be some of the most what seems to be mundane, familiar things that we have. Um, I've used this example uh, plenty of times over the last 15 years or so. But you know, one of the most, for me, as far as my perception goes, one of the most transformative times in my life, uh, just spiritually speaking, was the three years that I spent working with Brother Reggie. And you know, he never preached a single sermon to me during that time. But we were around each other a ton. And we talked a lot. And we had a lot of fellowship. Now, it wasn't the kind where we said, well, let's just not do nothing today. You know, let's just uh, take off and, and chat and visit. It wasn't that sort of a thing. But we spent a lot of time together. And, and looking back, and I could even tell in, the, in that time that it was very impactful for me. So in some sense... Brother Reggie was being used to help train the kid who would one day be his pastor. That's the way the church works. The church builds the church. Isn't that something? Now, if you were to ask him, did you realize what you were doing? I bet he would say no. Matter of fact, if you were to ask him, will that kid ever be your pastor? He might have said no. (laughs) But grace comes in and uses those kinds of things. So it's grace that does it. Secondly, not only does grace save, but grace trains, educates, trains. Look in in verse 12. Um, Teaching us 
that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? This is a big question. And it's a question that a lot of times is, is, is asking a very frustrated, sometimes from a frustrated heart. How do we get people to hate sin and love righteousness? You want to know what the answer to that is? You don't. God does. Grace has to teach you that. Now, I can preach on the, the ugliness of sin and the heinousness of sin and, you know, I can bark at you and I can chew you out and I can make you paranoid and I can make you scared to do something because you're afraid I might call you out or I might be disappointed. That's not called grace. You're not doing that for God. You're doing that because you're maybe paranoid about me. But you know what grace does? Grace comes in and convicts the heart and brings an individual. Remember we said about church membership, it's the same way as far as the kingdom goes. You come into it one at a time willingly. You're not drug in. Nobody forces you in as far as against your will. And do you know repentance works the same way? Grace will come in and will convict you and will bring you to the place to where you say, I just can't do that anymore. I've got to turn from that. I can't place myself in this group anymore. This can't be a regular part of my life anymore. As a matter of fact, it can't be a part of my life at all anymore. And the thing that I was neglecting over here, I've got to get serious about. I've got to pursue this. I've got to put my time, my attention here. Grace trains, educates, gives a desire for growth, makes the things of God attractive. And they're not attractive because sin is unattractive. Really, the opposite becomes true. The more attractive righteousness becomes, the uglier sin will be. Okay? We don't, uh, the goal is not to see how ugly of a picture you can paint sin. The goal is to paint Christ as beautiful, righteousness as beautiful, so that the more you fall in love with Him, just naturally the uglier that will be. Now, there's a crude way to, to illustrate that. Um, anybody... Well, I better not use that one. If if you're if you're familiar with what the real thing looks like, with what that which is beautiful looks like, then any counterfeit's going to be disgusting. Even if you're fooled for a moment. Okay, so the grace of God teaches you that. Second Peter three eighteen says that we're to grow in the grace of God and then the knowledge of Christ. And so what we know about this is that um, the nature of grace is that it's something that we can grow in. It's not just a, a zap. It's something that we grow in. And, and the way that we grow in it is some of the things we were talking about this morning. So grace saves. Grace trains. And so again, 
our responsibility, my responsibility is to try to feed and lead the flock. Your responsibility is that we would seek to edify one another in love. And then our hope and dependence is on the grace of God that will use those efforts to help train, to help mature, to help grow those who are being saved. Now, third, at a verse 13, grace anticipates or grace gives hope at a verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that grace gives us is this longing and this anticipation for the return of Christ when all things will be set right. Um, And the longer you live, the greater the anticipation becomes. Or at least the longer you walk with the Lord, the greater this anticipation uh, becomes. The, The things of the world grow more and more dim. Even the things that you love and the things that you enjoy, it's not that they're no longer enjoyable. It's that you long for the day when you can enjoy that which is good and right without any distraction, without any temptation, without any sin. I mean, part of what it means for... These, these two are really two sides of the same coin. For, for grace to train you to move away from, reject, deny ungodliness and worldly lust... You know, the sicker you get of sin, the more you anticipate the return of Christ. Because you realize the best of the best in this world is still tainted with sin. And so we long for that day whenever our fellowship with the Lord is unhindered. The the day where the world that we live in is not tainted, corrupted, by sin and sin's devastating effects, whether that is the uh, um, the abuses that come from sin or whether that's just the deterioration, um, the, the disease, the suffering. Um, we anticipate the day that Christ will bring redemption to completion and heaven will come to earth. We will dwell with Him in righteousness He will be the light that lights the day. Well, I can preach a message on the return of Christ and the hope that that gives us, but only grace can give that message life in a person's heart. The world scoffs at the idea of the return of Christ. And really, outside of grace, why wouldn't they? We're waiting on a God-man to return who was nailed to a cross and died for our sins, who is now sitting at the right hand of His Father and one day is going to come back for us. Well, if grace hasn't saved you and grace hasn't trained you, then that anticipation is weird. But if it's trained you and saved you, that resonates with your heart. I long for that day. I'm living for that day. That's grace. And then last, 
grace motivates. Grace motivates. Verse 14, speaking of Jesus Christ here, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So grace saves, grace trains, Grace builds anticipation in the life and the heart of the believer. But while we're waiting, okay, we're not like those folks in Thessalonica that said, we know Jesus is coming back, so I'm going to quit my job and go home and sit down and wait for Him. Okay? While we're waiting, we are zealous of good works. We are enthusiastic about living for the Lord. Now, notice the, the full verse. He gave Himself for us for what reason? That He might redeem us from all iniquity. Okay, we're, we're in the training arena here. That He might purify unto Himself a particular people. That's a, a, a special possession, a prized possession. And this special possession that He gave Himself to purify is a group of people who are zealous of good works, that is enthusiastic about good works. What kind of good works? Well, the kind that come at the very beginning of Titus chapter 2. Helping um, be a good steward of the church of God in our day. Helping to teach. Helping to encourage. Helping to... um, correct and exhort the, the things that are verse 15 you know Paul ends this what we call this chapter in Titus by saying these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority well there's there's three things that ought to be happening there uh, we ought to be speaking to each other we ought to be encouraging one another and we ought to be rebuking one another or correcting one another Okay, and that's a whole message in and of itself. But the point is, if we're zealous for good works, and this is happening, and it's happening the way that it should be, correction can be hard to take, can it? I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, man, I hope I get corrected today. Right? You don't... Um, most, I'm, I'm betting, I mean, even the person you love the most, even... I'm, I'm betting no one, the last time your spouse gave a corrective word, I bet you didn't say, and that's why I love you. <laughs> right? Correction's hard to take. It's hard to receive. But if we're a people who are zealous or enthusiastic for good works, then our heart for God should be growing greater, bigger, than, the, than, than our, our pride, or should I say the heart that we have, our self-protective heart that we have for ourselves. Um, grace is motivating us so that we can receive and so that we can give. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about what it means to be the kind of church that functions the way the church of God is supposed to function, we do need to be busy obeying what God has given us to do we also need to be in prayer, praying for the grace to use our efforts and and make them what they are intended to be. 
Okay. In other words, we're, we're dependent on God to empower our feeble efforts. The focus here should be on His grace, not on our work. But grace doesn't make us lazy. It makes us enthusiastic. And so, the transforming power of grace, the kind of grace that saves, educates, anticipates, and motivates. May God bless us to have that, to see that, and to walk in that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace and we thank You for just the power of grace. Without it, we would really have no hope. We could work and work and labor and labor and there would be absolutely no fruit. Uh, But that's not the kind of uh, uh, vineyard we labor in. You have showered us with Your grace. You've lavished us with Your grace. You are continuing to call people out of darkness and into light. You are continuing to build Your church and You're continuing to add people whom You've gifted for the work of edification to Your church. And so we thank You for the church that we have here. We pray that we would be good stewards. And we pray that by Your grace, You would continue Your transforming work. In Jesus' name, Amen.